all three of our um, all three of our children uh, had jobs as lifeguards. They served as lifeguards both uh, at uh, uh, some of them at Fort Wayne Community Schools, and then all of them for Fort Wayne Parks and Rec. Uh, they, they served as lifeguards. I remember hearing the stories when they were going through the training about and, and the testing, both of which were ongoing because uh, of the, uh, I mean, first it was Red Cross and then it's Ellis. If you're into swimming at all, you know what those things are. It's different different uh, intensities, if you will, of, of the training. But uh, part of their initial training involved things like um, retrieving a cement block from the bottom of the deep end of the pool and bringing it that back up and over to the side. And they also had to uh, swim out and rescue one of their trainers who played the part of a drowning victim. And uh, this fellow uh, overplayed his part of a drowning victim. He uh, thrashed and he wanted them to know what it would be like to try to rescue the uh, worst case scenario, if you will, as far as a reaction goes. Uh, a, a lifeguard basically has to approach a panicked person and subdue them. Uh, that's what a lifeguard has to do. They were taught how to avoid being grabbed and pulled under by the the person who was uh, drowning. And they learned how to position and how to hold that person so that they could both control that person and still swim themselves and this person back to safety. And uh, they learned how to get these people to, as best they could to surrender to their care to their knowledge and to their control as a lifeguard. And it was important. Now, some of the initial actions of drowning people actually end up fighting the uh, efforts of a lifeguard. When a lifeguard approaches a person who is drowning, they, the, the things they do usually put, well, it can put both the lifeguard and uh, and the person uh, in, in grave danger, uh, you know, but but they don't realize that the person who's drowning doesn't realize that. And usually, somewhere along the way, that person realizes they need to surrender to the control of the lifeguard. What we need to see today, I think, is that some of us are drowning, and we're fighting the lifeguard. You know, we are working against him, and we don't even know it. You know, we don't even realize that the things we're doing. Uh, you know, what we think is going to help us can actually end up causing us more harm. Now, we've been looking at Jacob's life uh, a bit, and we have seen how he started out rejecting God, how he was scheming his way through life. He was drowning. You know, he was drowning, and he, he didn't even realize it. Uh, you know, like many of us, you know, he has his own desires, had his own desires, his own plans, and he pursued his own desires, he pursued his own plans, and he pursued them his way. He didn't have a relationship with God. We think of Jacob, you know, one of the, name changed to Israel, one of the fathers, you know, one of the, one of the uh, patriarchs. I knew I'd come up with that word if you talk long enough. Uh, you know, one of the patriarchs of the faith. And, uh, you know, and yet here he didn't, he didn't even have a relationship with God. He was fighting God. He was fighting God. That's how we started things out. Now, three weeks ago, uh, we finished up Genesis 32. We saw where Jacob finally came to embrace a relationship with God for himself. He had that experience where he wrestled with, it says that the, the angel, some see as the pre-incarnate Christ, and I believe it was uh, Hosea, refers to it as an angel as well. But at any rate, he was fighting there, and he comes to that place where he, where he himself then begins to embrace a relationship with God for himself. Not just talking about his father's God anymore, but now talking about his God. Talking about that relationship 
that he had with him. And today I think we're going to see how his eyes were opened a bit. And he, he learned the importance and the comfort of surrendering to God. Just like when a drowning victim realizes that they're in good hands. They're in good hands if they let, if they let that lifeguard control them and take them where they need to be. Jacob begins to realize the importance of that and the comfort that comes from surrendering to God. Let's pray, and then we're going to turn into our passage for today. Father, thank you. Thank you that you put up with us. Um, Boy, I, I can remember fighting against you. I realize that now. I didn't at the time. Well, sometimes I have to admit, I, I just kind of did my own thing. Knowing that it was my own thing, that was dumb. But yet you continued to love. You continued to reach out. You continued to heal me. All of us here, Father, have had those times in which we would look back and we think and we realize that we were fighting you and how foolish that is. And sometimes we still make foolish choices. I pray that you would use your word today to continue to transform us more into the people you want us to be that we would know what it means to surrender to you, that we would see not only the importance, Father, but the comfort that comes as we allow you to be God in our lives. So teach us from your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 33. If you want to turn there in your pew Bibles on page 30, whatever device you use. Again, I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard. Um, on there, but in, as we get as we're getting into uh, you know this chapter here, we're going to look at this in three sections to help us grasp it more clearly. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to pause. So you might want to keep your Bible handy or stick a marker in it if you close it, so you can get back to where we're at in, in, you know quickly. Uh, we're going to glean some insights from each section as we go along, uh, you know. But we're also going to see, I think, you know, where we might actually be fighting God. Uh, And when we see them, I hope what we learn helps us to surrender to him more. So just the first three verses to start with, Genesis chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female slaves. He put the female slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. So he's bowing down as he's approaching his brother. You know, it's, it's not seven times in one spot. It's as that, as that event is going on. Now what we see here, what we have here is Jacob's plan for dealing with his brother. That's what we start with. This is Jacob's plan. This isn't God's plan. This is Jacob's plan. You know, we look at Jacob as, as someone of faith, but here it is, and he's instituting his own plan. Now, we saw at the end of chapter 32, if you have your Bible open, just jump up there and look. At the end of chapter two, uh, uh, 32, Jacob was injured as he wrestled with his brother. Verse 25, it says, when the man saw that he could not defeat him, and again, it wasn't an inability, it was not an inability, because notice what happens then, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip, so he very easily could have physically subdued him. 
But that wasn't the point, and that isn't what, they, what they're talking about when it could not defeat him. It could not, it could not get him to surrender his life to God. You know, that, it, that, that wasn't what was happening. And, and so that, in that regard, he couldn't get him to surrender his life to God. So he said, as he struck Jacob's hip socket, as they wrestled, dislocated his hip, dropped down to verse 31. It says, the sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping. Because of his hip. So at the conclusion of this event, you know, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. You know, he changes his name to Israel from deceiver, which is what Jacob means, you know, one who grasps the heel, a heel grasper, deceiver, you know, to, to Israel. He struggled with God, someone who struggled with God and prevailed. The, the name change is to signify a change of character. It was to signify that change of character that has gone on in his life as he surrendered his life to God. Now, what we see here is it's, it's unfolding a little bit more. Now, here he is. He's injured. He looks up. He saw, he sees Esau and his gang of 400 guys coming toward him. There's a picture. You know, I, I always get to, I, I kind of picture it in my head, you know, that he's, that he's laying there and as he gets, looks up, it's like, oh, dude. You know, here it comes. Uh, but, but it must have been something different because it says he was limping as he was walking. But at any rate, he looks up, he sees he sees Esau, the brother who wanted to kill him, and 400 guys coming with him, you know, charging toward him. Now, old ways sometimes die hard. I, you know, we, we are used to responding to certain things in certain ways, and it sometimes dies hard. I remember we had a basketball team. Church basketball teams are a very interesting <laughs> phenomenon. Um, when we were, when, before I was a pastor, you know, in the CMA church we attended, we had a basketball team. And I remember this one fellow, uh, Dale Driscoll is his name. And uh, that's what we're going to call him anyway, because that's what his parents called him. But, um, the, uh, he, he, he came to the Lord. He was, you know, he, he was a, he was a new Christian. And Dale was a, he was a stocky fella, you know, and so when he played basketball, he could play a physical basketball game. Well, you know, church basketball leagues like that, because when you play a physical basketball game, well, if you don't play a physical basketball game, don't play church basketball, which is one of the reasons we don't anymore, I think. But at any rate, um, so this this game is going on, and this guy blatantly follows fouls Dale. Yeah, I mean he just he just he just tries to level him. Well, you can't level Dale because it's kind of like trying to knock over a mountain a little bit. But uh, I remember Dale turned to us and he said, "That guy's lucky I'm a Christian now." <laughs> See, there's a change of character. There's a change of character. He changes, he changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel here, and it's indicating a change of character, that there is to be a change of character, that you are to live differently. You know, you are to have different motivations. You are to have different responses. But sometimes those things die hard. You know, sometimes those things die hard. Even after his encounter here and entering a commitment to God, Jacob begins to make his own plan for dealing with his brother. Uh, he divides his family up into what, four groups, at least three, but four groups. It says each is, you know, notice what it says, it's made up of two servants that he had children with and his wives, you know, and the children that they bore him. He arranges them uh, in an order of what seems to be importance to him, which I kind of find very interesting. Least favorite in front. It just sounds odd, doesn't it? But uh, th- anyway, that's the way it is. Least favorite in front, you know, that's each of the slaves girl, slave girls and the children, they bore them. Now, they could have been separate groups that it could have been together. But that, that's, and then it's followed, it says, by Leah and her children, the children she bore him. She bore him the most children. And, you know, so then it's followed up by Rachel and Joseph. They're bringing up 
the rear. Now, this is probably, we're not told, but, you know, it, it, in a military, in a, in a battle sense, this is, you know, this is a, a plan laid out to cut the expected losses here. Uh, you know, the ones further back might have a chance to run when they see the ones in the front getting slaughtered. Esau, 400 men coming. So he divides them up, and this is the way they proceed. Now, we can see some slight changes. We can see some slight changes in Jacob here now that he's entered into this commitment to God. Because notice, he takes the lead then as they approach Esau and his 400 men. Jacob's never really shown a lot of courage up to this point. But here it is, he takes the lead. He's out in front. And then he bows low before Esau seven times as they approached each other. That that is a sign of subservience. It, it's a, you know a, a subservience and humility before one that you serve. That's what the bowing low like that is. He is you know he is showing he is is showing by his actions that he is coming not not to fight, but that he is coming as a servant to Esau. He's trying to be very clear that he doesn't want any trouble. But remember, this is Jacob's plan. This is not God's leading. We have absolutely no indication here that he even, that he ever even consulted God. We have no indication at all that he ever prayed for help, that he ever prayed for guidance when he saw Esau coming. We have no indication there at all. He was drowning and he didn't even know it. He was scratching at what's around him, hoping to survive, and he was ignoring God again. Now, a lesson for us to learn here is to know the difference between your plan and God's plan. Know the difference between your plan and God's plan. Now, from a human perspective, excuse me, from a human perspective, Jacob's plan made sense. You send him out and and you you don't put all, you know, you don't put all your, I was going to say eggs in one basket. You don't put all your stuff together. You know, you have it separated there. And so he sends, you know, he sends them out and, and they're going and hopefully if the, the ones in front are getting attacked, at least Rachel and Joseph can, you know, hot foot it out of there and, you know, and, and, and be safe. You know, that, so militarily speaking, you know, he made, he made a good plan there, but we, you know, that wasn't the point. The point is it wasn't God's plan. If you have a relationship with God, if you have, you know, if you have a commitment to Christ, if you know who Jesus is, you know, if you know that, that he's died for your sins and you've made a commitment to him, if you have a relationship with God, you know, then, then, you know, scripture is very clear. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for every situation in your life. God is not surprised by anything that goes on in your life. Nothing. No, for us it's kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. We know, we don't know it's going to happen, and it's a good thing because if we if we if we knew everything that was going to happen, we'd go nuts. I mean, really think about it. You know, if you knew everything that was coming, and it's like, oh, dude, you know, uh, you know, you, you don't you don't know that stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm going through. This is that time of year where I go through all of the tests and everything, and I have to meet with the doctors. I just finished up all the tests this last week. You know, and then this week I start meeting with the doctors to see how the, how the tumors in my head are doing. And I remember when they, you know, I remember sitting there 
in the doctor's office, you know, and when he first, you know, when he first told us the results, the results of that, of that, uh, of the uh, MRI, you know, and that there's tumors there, and I, 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 I didn't, I was surprised. The doctor was surprised. You know, I mean, it was, it was God was never surprised. God was never surprised. He knows what's going. He knows what's going on, and he knows how to guide you through it. He's not wondering what to do next. You know, when we were going through that, and you know, we were wondering, what 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 do you do next? And they, you know, and as as they did some more, and then they find the second tumor, and you know, you know, you know, it's like, phew, uh, it wasn't four hundred men, but you know, here and, and it's coming, and and we didn't know what was going. We didn't know, you know, what to do and how to pursue this, and we we prayed, you know, God, show us, show us. What to do? Because he wasn't surprised. Because he knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's coming. And he knows how to guide you through it. He knows how to take you through it. We want to avoid it. Don't we? I mean, really, we want to avoid it. I pray, God, just take this away. Just take this away. I don't want to have to mess with it. I know you can do it. I know you're able to. You, I know you have that power. I have the faith. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's. Be. That's not always. God can and God does sometimes do that. But you know, the scripture is true when God says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with that temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you might be able to bear up under it. Sometimes that way of escape is God gives us the strength to bear up under what we have to go through, under what comes through our life. God's not surprised. He has a plan. He knows the best way for you, and he knows the best way to lead you through all of these things. Now, some will be more obvious than others. You know, some some are very clear. Dale knew God didn't want him to punch this guy's lights out. That was obvious to Dale. He was a new Christian. He didn't have to pray, God, what should I do about this guy who just attacked me on the basketball court? He didn't have to pray that at all. He knew God didn't want me to punch this guy's lights out. I mean, he knew that. He understood that. You know, some plans, some are, some are very obvious. Most of them are just going to flow as normal days. If this is the only time that you're paying attention to God, you may struggle during the week. I pretty much would guarantee that for you. If this is the only time you pay attention to God. But you see, you have a Bible. You should open it up and you should read it every day. And you know an amazing thing happens. God begins to put these, puts, puts, puts these verses, puts these things there. And all of a sudden it's like, dude. You can call God dude if you want. But, you know, Lord, I didn't know I was... I had no idea. You knew. You know. You know. Sometimes you think, well, it doesn't make sense, you know, and it doesn't. But you know what? God has a way of bringing those things up later for you as well. 
So if you spend time in his word, then what's going to happen is as you go through the normal day, you see what's going to happen is you're already in touch with God. You're already talking with him. You're already communicating with him. And it's just that, no, that normal day is going, to, is going to unfold with you walking and you following God. You know, and sometimes, you know, then those times when we look up and we see what we think is trouble, one thing is very clear from experience and from here. God's plan will always be better than your plan or your own ingenuity. God's plan will always be better than what you think enough. And it could be, you know, that, that it could be that, you know, you're thinking what, what God's thinking there, and, and that's great, you know, that's what I hope happens for you. But God's plan is always better than your own ingenuity, always better than your own plan. Look for God's plan, and then follow God's plan. You have to follow it. Not just know it, you have to follow it. You know, look for his plan and then follow it. So Jacob, you know, God's plan for Jacob here becomes obvious as this, this unfolds a bit more. Drop down to verse 4. Verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 11. And this God's plan begins for Jacob begins to unfold more. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked... Who are these with you? He answered, The children God has graciously given to your servant. Then the female slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. Then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. So Esau said, What do you mean by this whole procession that I met? Well, to find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. Verse 10, but then Jacob, but Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. Please take my present that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything that I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. Now, I can just imagine the terror and the panic Jacob felt as he saw Esau running, to, <laughs> running towards him, particularly with 400 men behind him. I just was trying to picture this in my mind. And what did it sound like? You know, here you are, and you're out in front of the family, and you're going, and you're walking back to this brother who you know wanted to kill you, and he sees you, and he takes off running towards you. I'd be bowing, too ducking, you know, the things that he'd be chucking and throwing at me. You know, uh, so here's these, these, you know, there's, there's Jacob and Esau running for, towards him, 400 men behind him. Now the last time he saw, the last time Jacob saw Esau is when he wanted, you know, he wanted to kill him. He was going to kill him after his father died and you know, he said, uh, <laughs> I like this because her father's still living here and 20 years later. Uh, he said, our, our father's not long for this world. You know, he's going to, he's going to be dying soon. And then when he dies, I'm killing, I'm, I'm killing my brother Jacob. You know, he says, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And if you remember, then mom said, uh, you know, Jacob, my boy, you got to go. You got to run because your brother so wants to kill you. And so he went and she says, I'll call for you again in a few days after, after your brother cools down. A few days, <clears throat> 20 years later, here they are. 20 years later, here they are, 
seeing each other again for the first time. And his brother warmly welcomes him. And it says, then they wept. I'm guessing Jacob wept from relief that his brother didn't lash out, but actually was glad to see him. You know, wanted to see him. Esau's anger had actually faded. While Jacob was away working on his own plan, God was working on on Jacob's heart, and God was working on Jacob's character, but God was also working on Esau's heart. He was changing Esau. Quite a bit happened to these men over their 20-year separation. Uh, Jacob married, he got married to two women, if you recall. Uh, he, he told Reuben, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll work for you seven years, you know, for Rachel. She's, she's, you know, I think she's okay. And I'll work for you for seven years for him. And, you know, his future father-in-law says, yeah, good dude. You know, that, that, that's fine. That, you know, that'll work. Uh, seven years, works for seven years. It says it seemed like a day to him. And then, uh, the wedding came and they substituted Leah. Now you say, how in the world could that happen? That's because you're thinking 20th century and you're thinking, well, Ding, ding, ding. I mean, can't you see he was walking down the aisle here? Uh, you know, but that isn't how their wedding went. And so he he ends up marrying Leah and gets up in the morning and says, oh, Leah, you know. And uh, I thought, what a confidence builder for her. And so he runs out of the tent and says, what are you doing, man? You know, this is the wrong girl. Perhaps you got things mixed up. And he says, no, no, you know, it's not our custom, dude, to have the younger go before the older Just what Jacob had done. And so then he ends up marrying, you know, he marries Leah the the first time and then he marries Rachel as well. Well then, so you have those two. He had children by four women. Because later in their mad dash frenzy of, of trying to, uh, produce, produce children for him, both Leah and Rachel make the, make the, make the, I don't know what kind of decision to call it except stupid. Um, make this, make this stupid decision that sleep with my, sleep with my, with my slave because she'll give you kids that will count it as mine and woo, I'll beat my sister, you know, and then, you know, and the sister says, oh, you're going to do that. I got a slave too. Sleep at, so anyway, you know, get this whole big mess going on. Don't, don't think that God approves it because God uses it. Don't think he approved it because, you know, remember, God uses sinful things for good. Now, if you don't believe me, think of the cross. An innocent man was killed on the cross, not because of what he did, but because of the jealousy and hatred of others. Because of the inability of, of, of a governor to be able to stand up for what was right, even though he knew it was right. And an innocent man was killed on the cross. That's wrong. And that's what God used for our salvation. You see, so here, you have things going on that aren't right. Now God, you know, God does use those later, but you know, they're, they're not right. Now, so he, he's married to two women. He has children by four women. He acquires a lot of, a lot of wealth and livestock, if you recall it, as, as he's taking care of his father-in-law's, of his father-in-law's stuff. 
Esau acquired quite a bit as well. He had 400 men with him, and he's given this gift, you know, five, over 550 animals, and he says, I don't need it. I got, I got plenty. I don't need that stuff. Uh, you know, so it, it seems not being killed by his brother, in fact, welcome warmly, it impacted Jacob, and he began to realize that his plan was not what God was using, but that God was still working. God was working in spite of his plan. Now, see, God had already prepared Esau, and God's plan was now unfolding before him. Now, notice, Jacob gives credit to God here. He gives credit to God for what has gone on and what he has instead of taking credit that belongs to God. Who are these? These are the children God has graciously given me, he says. What he begins to do is give God credit instead of taking credit himself for what the, for the, 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 the things that the credit only belongs to God. Esau gets to meet the family, you know, that God had given to Jacob and they all follow Jacob's lead. They bow before Esau as well. You know, they're all following, all following that lead along. Now Esau asks about that procession of over 550 animals that preceded them, remember. You know, he had sent these ahead of the people. And he, and so, you know, uh, Esau says, what was all this, what was all this procession? You know, what, what was all this about? Uh, you know, and he, he sent it to try to appease his brother. You know, that was his original plan. That was Jacob's original plan. God had used it another way. But notice, Jacob responds honestly yet humbly. This is something new for Jacob. This is something new for Jacob. He started he began to quit fighting God. He began to quit fighting God. He tells Esau, notice what he says very honestly. He says, I, I sent these animals to try to appease you. I sent these to try to influence you, you know, at, at least into not killing him. You know, it, it's, it's, it's honest and it's, it's a confession. He's living up, you know, he is admitting what he was doing here. I was trying to appease you. This is what he says. Now Esau's response shows that God had already changed Esau's heart toward his brother because these animals had nothing to do with it. Those animals coming had absolutely nothing to do with it. Esau was over his anger. He didn't even want to take anything that Jacob had offered him because he said he already had enough. Now in, at first... Jacob kind of mildly insists that Esau receives this very generous gift, you know, and then he talks as, as he's talking, it seems to me, he is realizing and he's admitting God at work in his life. He is starting to yield to God carrying him along. Look again at verse 10. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. You see, so what he's starting with was his plan here, but he keeps talking. He says, for indeed, I've seen your face. And it's like seeing God's face since you've accepted me. What he's doing here is he's beginning to realize, and he's beginning to realize that God was working. It wasn't his plan, but it, God had already was working, and God was already doing something. He says, it's like, see, you know, you're just revealing God to me. Verse 11, please take my present that was brought to you, because God has been gracious to me, and I have everything I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. You see, Jacob first simply asks Esau, 
to receive the gift as a sign that, that Esau had forgiven him, as a sign that Esau has accepted him. And then he continues and, and he admits that Esau accepting him was an act of God. For indeed, I, I've seen your face. It's like seeing God's face. I've seen your face. I know God is working here. Jacob is saying that Esau's acceptance here revealed God's plan to Jacob. And Jacob began to see, he began to see God at work here. It helped him to see God working. God had been working. Jacob now realizes it. He admits it openly, you know, probably an admission to himself as much as to Esau. Then Jacob realizes, you know, that more was a result of God's intervention than he realized at the time. His eyes were open. He began to see God was doing things that he didn't even realize. That Jacob didn't even pick up on at first. The blessings in his life were a result of God's working. Not the result of Jacob's planning. It was a result of God working, not Jacob's plans working out. Now he continues to ask Esau to accept the gift. Now what we don't, what, what you don't see here as you read through some of these translations, he changes the word in the Holman Christian Standard, it changes from gift to present. In some of the other translations, it's, it says gift in both places, you know, when he gets to verse 11. You know, it uses the word gift again. That's not the best translation of the word that's used here. Now, the English Standard Version and the King James Version get this. They get this correct. Uh, the, 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 word is, is, the word is blessing, and that's the word that's used in the English Standard Version and the King James Version. It says, please take my blessing that was brought to you. You see, the, the, the word used, blessing, it's an offer by Jacob to return to Esau what he had earlier stolen by deception. What he had earlier taken. It's an admission that he had wronged his brother. He changes that word to blessing. Take this blessing. That's why Esau had wanted to kill Jacob. Because Jacob stole his blessing. Jacob realizes what God has done and he's going through and he says, take this blessing. He admits that he was wrong. That's what we need to do. We need to admit when we're wrong. This is, this is quite important. It's quite important that, we, that you admit when you're wrong. I believe he's he's talking to himself that this is a, almost a, a conversation between Jacob and God that Esau just gets to kind of listen in on, you know. And, and as Jacob begins, and it, it just seems to me he's processing this and it's unfolding, you know, before him. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm giving you back this blessing that I stole. God had promised the blessing, and Jacob did not want to wait for God to give him that blessing years earlier. 20 years earlier, 
So what he did is he took advantage of his brother. When his brother came in from the field and he was famished and he said, you know, give me something to eat. What do you, uh, he says, I'll give it to you if you give me, you know, you, you give me the rights of the firstborn. And he says, what's that to me? Go ahead. You can have it. And then later he, go, he goes in and instead of his mother sends him in to, to receive the blessing that was supposed to go to his older brother to receive the blessing because his father, his father was, was, uh, was, uh, uh well, he had a hard time seeing. He was infirm. You know, he was old. And so he goes in. And what does he do? Instead of, uh, instead of, uh, you know, standing up and saying to his mother, no, this is wrong. He agrees with his mother to deceive his father. And then he flat out lied to his father when his father said, you know, who is it? He said, and Jacob says, it's Esau, your firstborn. And if you remember over and over again, you know, Isaac says, hey, it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like Esau. It sounds like Jacob. Now, this is a paraphrase. So we put the word dude in there. Yeah. He said, it, it, it doesn't sound like him. It, 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 come here. You know, come closer. And then he said, oh, you know, it smells like, you know, it smells like, it smells like my son. Because he had put on Esau's clothes. And if you recall, um, again, picture of a hairy man. Put goat hair on, on, the, on the smoother parts of his skin. So when his father touched him, it felt like Esau. But anyway, uh, you know, so he said, Esau tried to do, you know, he, uh, uh, Isaac tried to, tried to cover all of the bases here and, and, and he couldn't and, and he just went on and he deceived and flat out lied to his father. And here Jacob admits that God had been gracious to him. And now he had to return what he had gotten through impatience and through deceit. Unholy means brings an unholy end. And God was cleansing him of that. God was cleansing him of that as he enters back into the land. Jacob was beginning to trust God rather than doing things his own way without God. And he was beginning to work on that trust. He is admitting, he is admitting that God is at work in his life. See, now, if we're going to quit fighting God, we're going to need to admit that he is at work in our life. Specific things. Not just in a general way, not just saying God's at work in my life, specific things. Begin for yourself to see those specific things God is doing in your life. I told you, you know, when we got, when they found those tumors and we were praying for direction and, and wisdom and we went in to see the neurosurgeon, we had talked with the oncolo- the radiation oncologist and, you know, and he told us, you know, the, the, his plan and his thoughts on what we should do and how we should attack these tumors and all this stuff. And, uh, to me, surgery was going to be, you know, was, was, was the way to go because you'd get him out of there and get him out of there was a lot better in my mind. Get him out of there and we're done with him. I wanted a separation between me and these tumors. I wanted them to be out of me. And so we go and meet with the neurosurgeon and he's, you know, he's explaining, um, the, the process and all of these things. And, uh, Jenny and I had prayed for wisdom before we went in to see these guys. And uh, he, then he looks at me, the surgeon looks at us, and he says, I don't know why you wouldn't try radiation. If it was me, I'd do the radiation. I wouldn't have the surgery. Ginny and I, well, I remember exactly, exactly. We walked out of his office, into the hall, closed the door, looked at each other. We said, well, that was pretty clear, wasn't it? <laughs> ding, ding. I mean, uh, specific things. Name, you know, admit those specific things where God is at work in your life. You know, those, those specific times where he's at work in your life and choose to trust God rather than doing things your own way without God. 
Why would you want to do things your own way without him? Esau's acceptance of Jacob's offering to him, it signaled his acceptance and the reconciliation between them. And even, even though they would live apart, let's get into that last part, verse 12. It says, then Esau said, let's move on and I'll go on ahead of you. Jacob replied, my Lord knows that the children are weak and I have nursing sheep and cattle. If they're driven hard for even one day, the whole herd will die. Let my Lord go ahead of his servant and I will continue on slowly at the pace suited for the livestock and the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, let me leave some of my people with you. But he replied, why do that? You know, please indulge me, my Lord. That day Esau started on his way back to Seir, but Jacob went on to Succoth. He built a house for himself and stalls for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. But Jacob uh, came from Padamaran. He arrived safely at Shechem in the land of Canaan and camped in front of the city. He purchased a section of the field where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamor, uh, Shechem's father, for 100 kazitas. I think Kazitas were on the menu at that Mexican restaurant. But anyway, uh, uh, verse 20. Uh, then he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. Now, see, Jacob had a commitment to God, but he was still being refined. He was still growing. Uh, Paul says, you know, continue to work out your salvation. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. What it means is work out you know, work out, get it a part of your life, make it happen more and more. You know, and, and what you see here is, you know, Jacob here is still growing. Now, the discussion between Esau and Jacob, it seems to end with Esau agrees, agreeing to go ahead and Jacob agreeing to meet him at Seir. And then we're told Esau starts the trip back to Seir. It says Jacob heads to Shechem. That's the opposite direction from Seir. It's the opposite direction. And you look and say, what's going on here? Well, we're not told what's going on here. There's several possibilities. One, it could be that Jacob and Esau understood that they were not going to live in the same town and that their conversation, you know, was to allow them to go their separate ways without any embarrassment for either one of them. I mean, that certainly could be what it was in, in their culture. You know, embarrassment is an important thing. Not to be embarrassed is an important thing, just so you don't miss that. Uh, you know, and, and so that could be what the discussion was. And it could just be that Jacob was simply deceiving his brother again. I mean, that that's certainly one of the possibilities. Or it could be that Jacob realized he needed to follow God. Not his brother, not his feelings. Not wanting to be back with his brother again. God directed him to return to where? Canaan. Not to Seir. To Canaan. And God allowed Jacob through this whole process to see how he had been working on Esau's life as well as his own. And he allowed him to see that. But now Jacob had to decide, was he going to pursue God's plan? Or was he going to put his own plan in place again? His own plan of wanting to... We have friends, a friend of ours retiring. He's a pastor up north of Chicago. And he's retiring and he's moving. Now he's lived up there for 40 years or something. And he's moving. And Jenny said to me, is he moving by his kids? I said, you know, I, I, I think he might be moving by one of them. That's, you know, that's a, that's a tempting thing to do. 
well, for us it is. I mean, we, we love our family. I want to be with our family. I can see where, you know, here it is. They haven't seen each other for 20 years. You know, wanting to get back together again. And maybe maybe that was his own plan. I don't, we're, we're not told all the specifics, but what I see here is that he chose God's plan. Not his own plan for what's going on. We need to follow God's plan and not substitute our own plans, our own ideas, not following friends or family, particularly if the family, you know, if they're not in line with God. You follow God. You follow God. Jacob travels to the land of Canaan, it says, the land that God had promised to give to Abraham, God had promised to give to Isaac, and God had promised to give to Jacob. And that promise went right down. Now, in faith, Abraham purchased a field in Canaan in order to have a burial plot for his wife, Sarah, if you recall, and that because he saw the importance of following God's plan. And he so he bought that burial plot because this was God's plan. This is all going to be our land. I'm getting this spot here, you know, to bury my wife. Because why? Because this is going to be the land where our family is. And so what you have here is now Jacob in faith, he purchases a field here in order to live in the land that God had promised him. He saw the importance of following God's plan. We need to see the importance of following God's plan. It's an act of faith. It's putting faith into practice. It's getting it out there. You know, it it may not always unfold as we think it should be, but do not be distracted from following God's plan. Jacob didn't know all the details. He didn't have all of those, but God, but he knew the land that God had called him to, so he went there. He went to that land that God had called him to. He built an altar, we're told. Now, this is the second altar so far that, the, that God's people built in the land, uh, the altar, that place of thanks, that place of worship. But this is the first one we're told that's given a name. And that name reveals the point for us today. Notice what he says. He set up an altar there, and he called it God, the God of Israel. Now, remember, Israel is not a nation at this point. Israel is a person, one man, Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. It is one person. What we see here, what we see here is this altar is a reminder to Jacob and to all people that Jacob, Israel, one man, one person, Israel had surrendered to God. There it is. God's people surrender to God. Surrender to the care, the knowledge, and the control of God. This is more, you need to understand, this is more than simply acknowledging God. This is more than even a commitment to God. It's more than saying, you know, I, I know who he is. It's more than even saying that I have this commitment to him. What it is, is it's, it's a time where you quit fighting God. It's where you quit doing your own thing. It's where you quit floundering around. It's where you surrender to God. That you allow God to be God in your life. You allow him to lead and you follow his leading. You admit that he is working in your life, that he is working in the surroundings around you. Surrender to God. Hold nothing back. Don't, don't look and begin to put your own plans in. Don't go your own way. Don't substitute your own plan. 
surrender. Let's pray.